Father, we just thank you for your grace. Thank you for your provision. Lord, thank you for all that you do. I just pray, Lord, as you have given us an opportunity to be here in South Tacoma, Lord, that you would help us to do everything we possibly could with, with our relationships, with technology, Lord, every way to, to be a light in the darkness. Help us, Lord, raise this uh, $28,000 to do this, God. We need you. We trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. I love it. Good. Thank you for your generosity. Hey, we are in our theme launch series. Where we're launching the theme for our year. We've been talking about what it means to, uh, to be reawakened. We've been talking about reawakening the places in our life that God wants to do it. Last week, Pastor John got up here and there was a family service. How many of you got really enjoyed the family service this last weekend? Didn't, didn't that, wasn't it great? Get up here and see cotton balls and cups everywhere. And I was preaching at a, a different church. Uh, and so I got a, a picture and, and all the picture said was, look what John's doing. <laughs> there was a mess up here. And I'm like, what's going on? Right, so I got to listen to the message, and can I tell you this? I was humbled. We are so blessed to have a pastor who, who cares so deeply about our families. Amen? One of the things I loved about his message so much was his passion for training. You know, you know here, if you go to our church for any length of time, you're going to hear me or someone else say that the mission of our church is to send loved, mended, and trained people out. Sometimes people will come to me and say, Pastor Lance, Where's the training? I want to know where the training part is because I want to be trained. I want to go to the deeper things and be trained. If you've ever thought that, do not raise your hand, right? I'm telling you, there are people who says, I just want the deeper training. And I love this because Pastor John got up here last week. You know what he did? He, get, he showed you one of the ways that we train. Now, we teach classes. We have financial peace going on. Bill's teaching it. It's great. We have other classes going on. I think classes are a wonderful way to train. But let me tell you the way that we also like to train is on the job. You know what Pastor John and his wife Gina really want to see happen? Pastor Gina? Listen, they, they want to help train you to be parents. They want to help train you to be lights in the darkness in your community at your kids' school. They want to train you, right? And how they do that? They said, hey, come, be a part of what's going on in our children's ministry. I'll tell you this. I, I can tell you this, man. I love how King David, remember King David in the Old Testament? Remember how he was trained to be a king? Remember, he was a teenager, and the prophet came and dumped the oil on his head and said, hey, you are the man. You're going to be the, the next king of Israel. And everyone, when the violins all started playing and the clouds parted, oh, David, remember that whole thing, right? Sparse little, you know, teenage beard dripping off. What? Come on, right? That all happened. You know what happened after that moment? After God said, you're the next king, Dave. Here's what he said. Go out to the sheep fields and learn how to shepherd sheep. You know what he didn't do? He didn't send him off to king training school. God didn't send him off to king school. <laughs> he sent him off to sheep school because it was when he learned how to shepherd sheep that he became a man after God's own heart. When you begin to serve in our church, I, and by the way, children's ministry is a great one, but any level of ministry, I'm convinced if you don't know what your spiritual gift is, I'm convinced if you start working with Dave Wade and our greeters team, if you start working with Heather and some of the stuff that's going, if you start work, serving anywhere in our church, you'll begin to discover your gift. Because when you start serving, your gift shows up. If you don't know what your purpose is, start serving and your purpose will get revealed. If you want to start feeling better, start serving somewhere and you'll feel better. In Jesus' name. Some of you are like, I don't know what it is. I just feel hopeless and depressed. I don't know what to do. You know what I would tell you? Start serving somewhere. What? I just need a glass of wine. 
No, you don't. Start serving somewhere. And you watch God show up and bring peace that that glass of wine only gives you for a temporary moment. Come on. I said it. Amen. I love this. Hey, if you have your Bibles, open it up to the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 37. I love this. We had a, a lady, I was pastoring at a church uh, a while ago. She is now with Jesus, sweet Mary. I love sweet Mary. Mary is with Jesus in Jesus' name. She's awesome. But Mary was one of these people that my wife, when we were pastoring, it's not here, it's not this church, but Mary, uh, Polly approached her and asked her if she would help work, work with the children. Mary was in her 60s, maybe 70s. And Polly approached her and said, hey, Mary, will you help us with the children's ministry because we need, and Polly could barely get it out of her mouth. And you know what Mary said to her? Mary said this. She goes, Polly, I've done my time. I've done my serving time. I don't need to do that now. It's for the young ones. Can I tell you this? If that's ever crossed your mind that you've done your time, can I tell you this? You're not hearing from the Lord. There's plenty of people in the Bible who did their time up until the end. Whatever the time is she was talking about, but I can tell you this. You've not done your time (laughs) We, there's plenty that God wants to do through you still. There's plenty God wants to show you still. Amen? Ezekiel chapter 37. Ezekiel takes place at a time where there was lots of crazy going on. Ezekiel was speaking to a group of people who had been taken captive. It was about 590 B.C. The children of Israel had been taken captive into this land called Babylon. So all of the children of Israel had been disobedient to God, and then God had said, well, enough's enough, and ended up shipping them off across the land, the long ways away, to a place called Babylon, where they would be held captive for 70 years. They would be held captive for 70 years. In the midst of all of that time, God woke up this prophet named Ezekiel and said, I have a message for the nation of Israel that is in captivity right now. And I want to share this message with these people who are being held captive right now. Ezekiel, here's the vision. Here we go. It says this. Ezekiel 37, verse uh, verse 1. It says, The hand of the Lord was on me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord. He set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them. I saw a great many of the bones on the floor of the valley. Bones that were very dry. He asked me, son of man, can these bones live? I said, Lord, sovereign Lord, only you know. Then he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says. I will make breath enter you and you'll come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and, I will, and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound. The bones bones came together, bone to bone. I looked up, and I saw tendons and flesh appear on them. The skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say it. This is what the Lord, and to it say, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Come, breath from the four winds, breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and, I breathed, and the breath entered into them. They, be, they came to life, and they stood up on their feet, a vast army. I love this. 
a vast army. Can you realize that they were taking it for 70 years, right? 70 years. Imagine if you were taken at age 10. If you were taken at age 10, 70 years after that, you were returning back at age 80. Uh, you left at age 12 or 20, you're coming back in your 90s. Basically, your lifetime was spent in captivity. If you were an adult and had children, you probably died in captivity in that whole process. Imagine the whole message. Ezekiel gets this message to bring to the children of Israel, most of which probably were completely hopeless. They got there because of their disobedience. But they're there in the middle of this captivity, in the middle of this craziness, and most of them are saying, after they hear a word like this, yeah, right, yeah, right. Dry bones live. Are you kidding? There's no hope in sight. Day in, day out, minute in, minute out. The people who were held captive, most of them died there. Most of the adults died there. What kind of a message did a, a mom or a dad tell their children in captivity? We hate these people. God, this government's corrupt. They might have said things like, God, God's mad at us. They might have said, like, uh, you know what, there's no use trying, and it never really works anyway. It's amazing what people will say when they're captive. It's amazing how much not hopeful language comes out of you when you're held captive. What kind of language do you speak about the place that you're in today? Do you find yourself speaking as a captive or one who's free, a truly free? See, I think sometimes we, we speak so much as if we're in our captivity, because we feel like we have nothing we can do to change the situation. There's nothing that we can do to be a, a part of an answer. We even have Ezekiel saying, hey guys, there's a hope a-coming. And still, even though the hope was on the horizon, or the hope was out there somewhere, the words that came out of their mouths were hopeless. And justifiably so, because most of them ended up dying there that were in the adult range. Hmm. It's amazing to me how God can take an impossible situation and turn it into something that's possible. It's amazing. God gives Ezekiel this vision. He basically says this, I love you and I have a plan for your dried up bones. I love you. I want to bring it back to life. You find yourself in captivity, but my hope and plan is to restore you to life. My hope and plan is to restore you to life. But all they could hear was is, yeah, right, because this government is so oppressive. Yeah, right. Because this, uh, the, the, the situation we find ourselves in is oppressive. Yeah, right. God doesn't love us anyway. Look what he did to us. It was all his doing anyway. You can only imagine what comes out of your mouth when you find yourself captive. You can only imagine what rolls off your tongue when you feel like you're, you're being held captive, right? See, I think that's what happened. They lost all hope. There was nothing. It seemed like that if anything was going to happen, something was, it had to get really bad. Sometimes I wonder if that's exactly the thing that God wanted. It had to get bad enough before they could finally take their eyes off themselves and realize it wasn't God's problem. God didn't make them go there. They went there by their own doing. They were taken captive because of their disobedience. God simply allowed it. Hmm. Truth is, they were exactly where they needed to be in order to see what God wanted to show them. Hmm. Maybe that's where you find yourself today. I wrote this down. Self, uh, selfish is best, 
Selfish is best dealt with through disappointment and loss. Selfish is best dealt with through disappointment and loss. I just wonder sometimes if that's what it's going to take for us to finally get to the place where we're desperate enough to seek after Jesus. We're desperate enough to get after ourselves and to leave ourselves. Selfish is best dealt with through disappointment. I hate that. I wish that he could just deal with my selfishness and my grumpiness and bless me anyway. But isn't that the point, right? I think they had to get to the point they couldn't deal with their selfishness until they finally, finally got to the end of themselves and realized, I can't do this. I was, uh, I, I'm a little weirdo, and it comes to watching things. I, I, got, I got a documentary last night that I was watching. It's funny. It was about the difference between traffic patterns of humans and traffic patterns of ants. Yep, watched it. Right? And it was like, ants never seem to pile up on each other, right? Ants just seem to get out of each other's way. And so they show this colony of ants, right? Again, I actually watched this. They're, they show this colony of ants just going like crazy, and then there's like these other ants that are carrying like big leaves that are five times bigger than themselves. And every time the big ant would go by with a leaf, they would all move out of the way and let the ant carry the leaf, and then they'd all get back in the way and, and travel on, never stopping of anything. And so they were saying, like, we can learn a lot from the ants. And, and so the guy's the end of his whole thing, he said, why do we as humans find ourselves always in traffic problems? And he said, one reason, selfish. We're too selfish. The ants always do everything for the good of the colony. Humans do everything for the good of me is the reasons why we have travel problems, believe it or not. We just think make bigger roads. We'll just create more selfish people, right? Come on. When we finally deal with ourself, when we finally deal with ourself, then maybe we'll begin to, uh, I don't know, have God show up in a way that we never could before. Hmm. Make the impossible possible. You know, sometimes God says no to us because it's his best yes. Sometimes God's hardest no is God's best yes for us. Hmm. You know, the thing I love about this story is that God showed up and he said, I have a mighty plan for you. I'm going to take these driest, just horrible bones and, and I'm going to bring them back to life. The thing I love about this story the most is this. I wrote this down. Listen to this. These people that he's talking to, none of them were spiritual enough. None of them were out of debt enough. None of them were happy enough. None of them were educated enough. That had nothing to do with them. God wanted to show up and bless them and make that which was dry and arid and like it couldn't, couldn't work anymore brought back to life because he just simply loved them. Some of you have marriages that feel dead. Some of you have physical bodies that feel almost dead. You're just sick. And some of you have children that are wayward and you feel like that thing will never come back to life. Some of you have finances that are so upside down that you're like, man, it's as good as dead. And you're saying, how could God ever bring this thing back to life? Can I tell you, we serve a God that makes the impossible possible. We serve a God that's able to do more than we can ask or think. And here's the coolest part of this whole story. Them being blessed by God had nothing to do with their spiritual aptitude. It had, listen to this, I don't think it had anything to do with their faith. I think it had to do with it because God is just good can I tell you this? God's good in the midst of your captivity. God's good even though your marriage feels like it's, it's strained. God's good even though your children is wayward, child is wayward. God's good even though your job is about to end. God's good. And when we finally realize that, God, you're able to do what I can't pull off myself, then you finally will realize he's good and finally begin to walk in the peace that God has. How do you make the impossible possible? I wrote down three things here. Making the impossible possible. 
And obviously, it, replies, it, 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 it hinges upon God. But let me just say this. Making the impossible possible requires cooperation with God. Cooperation with God. I don't know why, but God cooperates with us because he's a good dad. Good dads cooperate. Some dads oftentimes step in and say, here, just give me your shoe and I'll, t- oh, just here, you just give me that thing and I'll fix it. Oh, oh here, come in, just give me that deal and I'll, I'll make it better. You know, sometimes good dads stop, stop and say, no, 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 just sit there for a little longer. You'll figure it out. You'll tie the shoe. You'll get it eventually. You'll learn before you're 30, right? You, you help them, but then you, you release them to do what it is they got to do. I love the fact that God wants to cooperate with us. I love it and I hate it. I hate it because I often wonder about uh, the, the announcement of Mary being pregnant, right? Mary and Joseph, Christmas time. That, that, whole, that whole, Mary, you're going to be with child, right? And so she's like, ah, she was engaged to be married to Joseph. Joseph was all across the, the country-ish. And, and so they're far away from each other. She gets a message from an angel, you're pregnant. She's pregnant. And, and, then, and then like later on, she shows up visibly pregnant. And then Joseph hears about it. And the Bible says Joseph travailed he, even to the point of thinking, I want to do, I'll, I'll, I'll break this thing off with her, right? I just think to myself, like, God, couldn't it have been easier to have the angel who was already on earth just drive over there and just tell Joseph, hey, by the way, this is what I'm doing, and just save a trip, save the drama, right? <laughs> Instead, you know what God said? No, I want the drama. I want Joseph to be so distraught that he'll run to me. I want Joseph to be, I want Mary to worry about Joseph so much that she drives her, that she runs to me. I, I want Joseph to be so upside down that he says, God, I need an answer from you. See, sometimes we feel like we're in captivity as if God's mad. God's not, God's not saying no to you because he's mad at you. He's saying no to you because he loves you. I think about Pharaoh and Moses and that whole scenario where Moses went back and forth, hey, let my people go. That, that whole thing, right? Come on, let him go. And, and Pharaoh's like, no, yes, and no, and yes. And that whole thing, and then plagues and crazy and all the, all the drama. I'm like, God, you spoke to Moses. Couldn't you have just dropped the line in on Pharaoh? Instead, he wanted the tension. <laughs> he wanted the tension because the tension drives us to our knees. Some of you are in the midst of your biggest owie. You're in the midst of your biggest dry bones season. And God's saying, run to me. I'm here. God wants to cooperate with you. Even Ezekiel, God didn't tell Ezekiel, walk up to the dry bones and snap your fingers and sprinkle some happy dust on them. He says to Ezekiel, speak to the bones. Speak to the bones, Ezekiel. You do it. Your words are going to be the things that are going to change things. You do it, Ezekiel. God could have just brought Ezekiel and said, watch this. Instead, he said, listen, you do it. Why? Because he's a good dad. And good dads are going to tell you this. Take a look at some dry bones, man. And you begin to speak over those bones. You begin to speak some truth into some places. Because why? God wants to cooperate with you. How, how is this impossible going to get possible? When you begin to say, God, I can't, but I know you can. Hmm. Number two. Number two. By the way, like I said before, I don't really believe that it was Ezekiel's faith that made anything happen. Again, maybe I'm just going to get thrown into 
preachers, whatever. <laughs> I don't know. I can tell you this. I don't think Ezekiel's faith had anything to do with the dry bones living, uh, personally. I think it had to do with his obedience. By the way, I think obedience is the beginning of faith. Let me say that again. I think that obedience is the first part of faith. Uh, we kind of tend to think like, well, once I get enough faith, I'll step out into obedience. So Pastor John gets up here and says, hey, start tithing God with your, your 10% of your income. We're like, eh, when I have enough faith, I'll do that. Can I tell you this? It starts with obedience. You step out in obedience and faith begins to grow roots. I love with Ezekiel. God says to Ezekiel, speak to the dry bones. Can you imagine? Put yourself in the scenario, right? There were dry bones, brittle, dead, nothing, de a bone. It wasn't like a, hey, there's a kind of a half-dead guy. Like it was like dead guy. The Bible says it was valley was full of bones, right? It wasn't just sparse, full of bones. I mean, who knows? There could have been thousands of soldiers there. We don't know. All I know was it was just a valley full of bones. And he says, speak to him. Could you imagine how silly he must have felt? Could you imagine how, what, how crazy that must have been for him to think like, God, come on, seriously? And God's going, do you trust me? Because your faith is going to grow out of your obedience step. Step out in obedience first and watch me show faith up in your life. Someone need to hear that today. Because you've been worrying about not making a decision based on how much faith you do or don't have. Let me tell you this. Your faith is going to come when you step out in obedience. Now someone say amen. <laughs> it starts with obedience and then faith begins to come. I, I can tell you that's exactly how it worked in my life. How many times in my life I was like, I don't know if I have the faith for that. I don't know if I have the faith for that. And the Lord just says, I'm not measuring how much faith you got. Step out in obedience first, and I'll give you the faith you need. Hmm. Number two. Number two. To make the impossible possible, celebrate the small things. It says this, Ezekiel 37, 7. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And I was, as I was prophesying, there was a noise and rattling ground. The bones came together. Bones came to, bone to bone. I just got stuck with this as I was reading it the other day. It's, uh, it says, celebrate the small things. If we're going to begin to see the impossible made possible, celebrate the small things. Can I tell you a, a moment in this particular passage of Scripture that is a small thing that I celebrate? The, just the first couple of words. It says, so uh, I prophesied as I was commanded. Stop. <laughs> How many times do we read the Bible over and over again in different places and then we're like, they blew it because they didn't do what they were told to do, right? This is like one time in Scripture. This is like one, there's several, but this is like one time we can physically look at, and, and we see Ezekiel saying, look, I just did what I was told to do. <laughs> I prophesied like I was told to do. Stop. It's a small thing, man. He just did what he was told to do. There was no like, um, hey, by the way, this is how you, uh, how you raise up an army from nothing. You find bone and start speaking at it. Like, like there was no like, precursor to this. There'd never been a pattern of this happening before. Ezekiel, as far as we know, could have just been hallucinating. Who knows? But nevertheless, here's how we know it wasn't, because he listened to God. He wasn't hallucinating. He heard from God. And God said, speak to the bones. So here's what he did. He did that thing. You've heard me say this before, and I'll say it a million more times. Some of you have been asking God for the next thing in your life. You've been asking God to show you what the next thing is. God, what's the next thing? What's the next thing? And I'm here to tell you this. God's not going to give you the next thing until you finish the last thing. What was the last thing God asked you to do? Do that thing. 
do that thing. Go ask for forgiveness. Go say, uh, go, go uh, tithe, trust God with your tithe. Go sign up for the blah, blah ministry. Uh, do something, right? What was the last thing he asked you? Do that thing. It's the small things that matter. I was working on some goals and values last night. Um, I was working on some things for our staff. We have a retreat coming up. And, and I, it said, what are some of the things that you're looking forward to? And I wrote, I wrote down in my goals, I said, work on the small things. Just the small things. In that area, I wanted to say like, well, I want to lose 400 pounds and I want to have exercise every day and I want to do all the, come on, we all do those kinds of things, right? Uh, I don't need 400 pounds, I just need like 35 pounds. But nevertheless, <laughs> I'm working on it. But nevertheless, <laughs> throw it out there big so that you'd be impressed. But, but I can tell you, it's the small things. It's the small things. It's the not getting angry when your kid runs into the room when he should be in bed. And he thinks it's really funny. And you don't think it's so funny. And you lose your ever-loving mind over the issue. And i got to tell you this right now. Your kids will one day grow up and cherish sleep. <laughs> I remember Polly and I, man, our kids were really little. And we'd had a king-size bed because I'm large. And so I remember uh, our, our kids, we told them this. We said, you can't, end, we, you can't start in our bed, but if you end up there, that's okay. Somehow that made sense to them. And so they were like, okay. So they would fall asleep in their own beds. Two in the morning, all three of them would show up in our bed. Somewhere between us, laying sideways and on top of us. And I mean, come on, you know what it's like, right? And we realized, okay, let's not fight this battle. Because Polly and I would say to each other, ah, they just, they just kick us and they move us and they wake us up and all that stuff that kids do. They're awesome. But, but here's what we said to each other. One day they won't want to be in here with us. So seriously, that was our get by. We were like, okay, we'll get by this. And the truth is, they don't want to sleep in our bedroom anymore. Right? <laughs> yay. Trust me, yay. It's the little things. It's the little things. Number three, how to make the impossible possible. Speak the truth to the wind. Speak the truth to the wind. I alluded to this earlier. This is amazing. Earlier up in verse four, five and six, the Lord says to Ezekiel something like, Hey, I'm going to put wind, I'm going to put air in their lungs and I'll be the breath to them. And, and I want to be able to, the same word is used there, by the way, over and over again in the Hebrew. It's the word ruach, ruach. It's the same word used as the Holy Spirit, right? And the idea of the ruach is this, is this the wind or the spirit of God or whatever. It, it happens. Ezekiel uh, 37, 9 says this. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy son of man, say to it. This is what the sovereign Lord says. Here's what he said. Come breath from the four winds and breathe into these slain that they may live. Now, can you imagine, right? So, so now the bodies have formed. The, the, the human soldiers are there. I'm, I'm assuming that they not only got bones, but they probably got clothing as well. I don't know. But they're laying there, all not living. And he says, Spirit of God says to Ezekiel, Ruach, speak to the wind. Now, I want to be super spiritual with you and tell you what's, this was the beginning of an outpouring of the Spirit of God and he shows up and he filled all these mighty soldiers with strength. Can I tell you? That may have happened. And it may have been the very reason what happened. But let me be not so spiritual with you and tell you what I think he was saying here. What I think he was saying here is this. When God told Ezekiel to speak to the four winds, north, south, east, west, he said the word ruach can also be, can also be translated life, Speak life to that thing that's dead. 
on my level with you. Too many times in our world, we have things in life that we think are dead. And we do anything but speak life to those things. We speak death. That marriage will never work. Our government will never figure it out. That president is a whatever. That whatever is a whatever. Come on, you can finish all those sentences. All, you, I can see them all over you. And we speak death to the four winds. What happens when we begin to speak life to the four winds and say, you know what? Honey, you're going to make it because God's big to that wayward child. You know what? You're going to figure it out. We can't invite them to our house because they live together. Can I tell you this? What if you spoke life to them and you said, you know what? Welcome home. Come on over and I'll feed you. And speak to the four winds. You don't compromise your values, but you show them you speak life into them. Some of you have been speaking death so long you don't even recognize that you're speaking death. At some point, we need to begin to speak life to the four winds. What does that mean? It just means get it out. Get it out and start speaking life to that thing. Because we live in enough crazy, you turn your phone on for two seconds and you see negative. They're just speaking death to the four winds of you and me and you and me all the time, speaking death. And then here's what we do. You know what? That's right. They're weird. It'll never work. What happens when we begin to say, wait a sec, maybe there's something more here. Lord, I speak life to the president. I speak life to our governor. I speak life to our mayor. Lord, I speak life to our economy. Lord, I speak life to this church. I speak life to this marriage. I speak life to that child. You begin to speak life, ruach. You begin to tell it what it is. So you're just going to fake it until it happens? No. It just beats what you've been doing before. And it just may work. Amen. Here's what I want to do. We're going to close. But as we close, I'm going to pray with you. And my prayer is going to be this. I want you to begin to say, how am I going to walk out of here different In other words, what is it that I'm going to do differently as I walk out of here? I want to challenge you to make a decision on how you're actually going to step this thing out. Maybe it's with a child, or maybe it's with your wife, or maybe it's with your employer, and you've been cursing that place all along because that boss doesn't get it. You don't got to go tell him, perhaps, but you're just going to say, I'm going to start speaking life to my supervisor. I'm not going to be the negative ninny that I always am. Jesus... You're good. Lord, I pray today that you would help us. You just help us to begin to ruach. Lord, that you help us to begin to speak the breath. You said that life and death are in the power of the tongue. Something tells me that there's something there. So as you're sitting here quietly, where is that place that you've been speaking death? I don't even give you examples. You know what I'm talking about. Where's the place you've been speaking death? Is it that stepchild? Is it that ex-wife? Is it that former employer? Where's the place that you've been not speaking life? You've been literally speaking death, posting it online, just declaring your rightness and their wrongness. 
Lord, I pray today that you help us to make a decision to begin to speak life to those dead bones. Lord, that they would rise up and become the mighty, vast army that you intended for us to be. Go ahead, make a decision right now in your mind's eye. What is that?